Hello and welcome to the Insurgents episode 15. And it's Rob Rousseau here. Hey Rob, it's Jordan Yule here. How are you? I'm okay. I'm All okay. Right. Great. Um, Glad to hear it. Guess I can't complain too much, you know? Things are going good um, up in Canada for you? Uh, no, actually. Oh, right. <laughs> I just talked about, I think I just talked about like two episodes ago how Canada and Quebec were like possibly avoiding the, the worst case scenarios of coronavirus. Um, and then that rapidly changed. I was like, I don't want to get ahead of myself. I don't want to speak too soon. And it turns out that I was in fact speaking much too soon. Um, it has it really exploded just in the last couple of days here in Quebec and Montreal. I basically live right in the epicenter, the hot zone of COVID-19 in Canada. So not really an ideal situation for me over here at the moment. No, it does not sound good. Well, um, no, it's not great. No, I guess that answers my question. Yeah, but so, I, there's that. There's that whole issue. And there's something else that's kind of on my mind right now that's bothering me a little bit. What, what is it? <clears throat> now, Jordan, you know that I've been a supporter of Bernie Sanders for a while yeah, now. Of course. We've talked about it a lot, obviously, his campaign and the things that we liked about him and they tried to be supportive. Mm-hmm. This week, I've been seeing some stuff that, I, frankly, I find a little disturbing. And that is that not only just Bernie, but people involved with the Bernie campaign are taking this current moment, this pandemic, this 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 unprecedented health and economic crisis and they're really politicizing it they're oh. politicizing it and using this 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 terrible tragedy as a springboard to talk about the completely unrelated things that you know about like healthcare and the economy and the economy that and the is, things that he's been talking about in his, in his oh, campaign that is so gross are you serious yeah i mean there's a time and place for everything right yeah this is grotesque. I mean, people are suffering. And you know what? Like, oh, God, I can't. I really, I don't know. I, don't, I didn't know what to expect, like what you were going to say, but I didn't expect it to be this offensive because there's just like some lines you don't cross. And I think at a moment like this, when tens of millions of people are about to lose their health insurance and you're going to see many more people see their premiums increased, you think that is a good time to go out there on your little high horse and talk about Medicare uh-huh. for all. Unbelievable. Yeah. Uh, they yeah. Bernie should drop out. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, that much is obvious. Yeah. Oh, um, my God. And now that, you know, I'm seeing things like they want to, you know, quote unquote, continue running in the presidential primary and oh. you know, allowing the democratic process to play out and allowing people to participate in selecting who's going to run against uh, Donald Trump in November. Mm-mm. Really, really distasteful stuff. It's left a really mm-hmm. bad taste in my mouth. Oh, of course. I mean, just there's a time and place for everything. This is, you know, on the, he- on the heels of a global uh, health crisis and a, and a pandemic. And when you have countries with, universal health care, flattening their curves. You think that is the good time to talk about bringing that kind of a system here? Get over yourself, Bernard. Like at that, and I, I and my menchies, my menchies are flooded with people talking about uh, Medicare for all now and how this is a perfect time uh, to a perfect time to talk about this. And I just want to say to those people, what about the lives of the health insurance CEOs? What about them, huh? If they're bus- if they yeah. go out of business, what if, what are they going to do for work then, huh? What about their health insurance? 
Yeah, or what about the, the family members of, of sitting U.S. senators that might have fallen victim to other diseases? When you mm-hmm. bring up, you know, should should cancer payments be free also? Mm-hmm. Should, you know, diabetes or, or stroke treatments be free? Well, they, you don't really think about the fact that some uh, very powerful people in the United States government may have known people throughout their lives mm-hmm. that have dealt with those kind of problems. And mm-hmm. it's just a really insensitive and, and ugly and toxic uh, way of framing this kind of debate. And I wish Bernie and his and the people in his campaign would do better. Oh, well, yeah. I mean, that's just a start. I, this is yet another example uh, of Bernie and his toxic campaign culture uh, trying to, um, you know, thrust, if you will, their pr- policy proposals onto me and my person. Uh, un- un- it's unwanted. I do not. I do. I, I do not accept this. Uh I, I think they need to really read the room here and, and really reconsider because um, some of the tweets that I've seen from his staff just really show that they want Trump to win. Yeah, and really just his his fixation on things like healthcare and the economy. Uh, it reminds me of, of a traumatic experience from when I was younger, when my father at the dinner table uh, tried to give my family uh, healthcare. Oh, I'm so sorry. So welcome back, everyone. Um, welcome back to the Insurgents. Um, we're happy to be back for another another episode. We've got a really good episode uh, coming for you today. Uh, the other episodes, the previous episodes, also Not, good. I don't want to no. say that they weren't good. They were, <laughs> but this one is exceptionally. Again, the other ones were very good. I would recommend going back and listen to those. But we've got we've got the incomparable uh, David Roth coming on the program today. To talk about, um, you know, life in New York right now, um, about the way that Donald Trump has handled this whole crisis from the beginning, um, the way that, you know, he he uses the the lens of the media first and foremost as a way of of, of, of you know crafting responses to these kinds of issues, um, and and not actually the you know taking into account the health and safety of the people in the country that he's supposed to be sort of in charge of right now. David had a whole lot to say about all this kind of stuff uh, and a couple of uh, baseball questions as well. So we, it was a really great conversation with David Roth. I think you're really going to enjoy that. Yeah, I was excited. That was um, excited to talk to him. Curious to hear what he thought about the the moment. Um, yeah, and get his thoughts on the weird world of sports. It was kind of a perfect intersect with everything that was happening right now. So good conversation. I enjoyed it. I'm sure the listeners will, will as well. Yes. Yeah, it's funny just talking to David about it as you realize like, yeah, there's been no sports. It's just it's this bizarre uh, emptiness. You know, usually, you know, if you get in, you know, obsessed with this kind of stuff, you're relying on sports to kind of keep you distracted, uh, to sort of keep you, give you something, some kind of like uh, something fun to kind of think about and focus on. Uh, and then that's been taken away. And it's just all this, this really horrific, depressing shit at all times. Um, and that came across in this interview, frankly, but, but I really enjoyed it. It was a really good one. So uh, we got a bunch of voicemails. We got voicemails. Yeah. Yeah, we're going to play our voicemails. And do you want to just, I don't remember the number. Can you just remind everyone of the number? Because we're going to keep playing voicemails on the show. Please give us a call. We love hearing (laughs) from everyone. We got some really great voicemails to play here. Mm -hmm. And uh, what's the number again? It's 202-570-4639. Again, 202-570-4639. 
570-4639. Yeah, so call us and leave <laughs> us some voicemails. Uh, we love to hear from you. And um, yeah, we've got a whole bunch to, to choose from here. Uh, a couple of really great voicemails that I'm going to play uh, right now. So here's here I'm queuing up voicemail number one right now. Hello. I saw this memo on Twitter. Jordan Yule rules. Uh, keep fighting, keep organizing, keep doing journalism on the good leftist topics and issues and struggles. Um, keep listening to hardcore and metal. That's awesome too. It's a good little blend. All right, just your friendly leftist from Boston. Viva Duruti. Hey, I like that one. Yeah, it was not bad. I I couldn't help but notice that he. I think he forgot maybe to address some compliments to me as well. I mean, that's must have been some kind of mistake. It could have been cut off halfway through. I'm not sure if there's some kind of editing that, oh, you that know, took place Yeah, there. that's probably, you know, probably, it's probably the cell phone, like, service dropped or something and cut yeah. out the part, which I assume was long and lengthy and substantive, uh, where he complimented yeah, you. Yeah, that's what I would imagine. Yeah. I mean, it's yeah, just, just, I'm sure it was a mistake, but just remind everyone when they call in that there is two hosts <laughs> of the show. It's important to also mm-hmm. acknowledge the things that I'm the, the cool things that I do and that stuff. I think it's important to, to also get that stuff in there. Maybe you want to talk about the again, Toronto sure Raptors or things like. Yeah, whatever you want. <laughs> Just in case anyone thought that that was not, you know, that was that was against the rules or whatever. And the, the not so. Feel free to feel free to also say nice things about me as well. Yeah, go for it. So this voicemail, uh, this next one, uh, I was really excited about this. Uh, it's a new listener, I guess, uh, who appears to be Australian. Oh, cool. Uh, which is really, it's exciting to me that we're kind of penetrating these different markets and, and different locations uh, geographically. It's really exciting. So I'm going to play this one, this, this next voicemail from our new Australian fan uh, over here. Okay. One sec. Good day, mates. Uh, Rob and Jordan. Amy Therese here with a dispatch from sunny Australia. Uh, I'm hunkered down in some sort of a cave for the duration of the pandemic. Um, so times have been hard since my exile from Twitter, uh, but I'm making the best of it by staring at this wall. Uh, the dark shapes of people live on the wall. Uh, that's the PMC, which stands for uh, People in My Cave. <laughs> Incidentally, I believe spring will come early this year. God bless you. Signing off. Oh. It was lovely. That's yeah. nice. Thanks, Amy. Uh, didn't quite understand the exiled from Twitter thing, but, you know, seems like a lovely person all around. Maybe someone we would want to, you know, have yeah, a beer yeah. with. Just, it's, it is nice to have people that are, you know, big fans of the show and the two of us weighing in. I'm not familiar with her, her, oh, the, yeah. her work. It sounds like she really yeah, likes yeah. us. I'm not sure who that is, yeah. but <laughs> shout out to Amy for, for calling in, though. We really appreciate it. And keep listening. Yeah, yeah. thank you, Amy. So did you want to just do one more or or two? Yeah, another more? one? Sure, yeah, just pick just pick a random okay. one. We got we got a bunch, just okay. grab one. So here's the here's the final voicemail we're gonna play today, but we got plenty more. And remember, keep calling, keep leaving us voicemails. We're gonna play these on future episodes as well. So uh so here we go. Uh this is Tony Bard. Uh long time listener, first time caller. 
big question here. Do you think this COVID, COVID-19 affects uncircumcised fellas more than circumcised fellas? Why or why not? Thank you. Oh, that's, um, yeah. I mean, you've got a lot of thoughts on this, right? I mean, judging by our conversations, like, we often talk about something you bring up a lot. So, you want to, do you want to talk about it? Yeah. I mean, as you know, I bring this up fairly often around the office, um, at meetings with the different interns and the different people. This is a subject that I am kind of invested in as an intactivist. Um, did receive a, a warning about that from, from Judy and HR. But Judy. I think that's, you know, yeah. I don't think she quite understands my perspective on it. And we're going to continue to meet about it and talk about it. But I mean, that is the really distressing thing. I haven't seen any of the science on this, but it would be really, really devastating to know that, you know, since society is already is already so geared to uh, towards um, making sure that that barbaric practice is uh, perpetuated. Um, you know, everyone knows how I feel about this, so. It would be extra upsetting if, if for some reason, if people were were more affected by COVID nineteen, um, after already being, you know, uh, mutilated and traumatized, and so you know that's just something that I'm going to continue fighting the good fight on, and uh, you know the best way to ensure that um, uh, people aren't uh, unjustly affected by that is just to continue, just to wipe out that whole practice, and that's that's kind of my main political project right now. Um, well, go oh, before you, you, everyone needs to find something to keep themselves <laughs> occupied right now. So yeah. that's great. Yeah. They're starting to lose a little bit over here, Jordan. <laughs> not going to lie. <laughs> oh, I, well, yeah. <laughs> anyway, it was really great to hear from, uh, from people uh, listening to the show. Thank you so much for sending us voicemails. We got a couple more, but we do have to get to our interview soon. So we're going to c- keep playing these in future episodes. Keep sending them in. And once again, the phone number is. Kicking it 202-570-4639. Yeah. So please continue leaving us voicemails. We love to hear from everyone. These were very funny. And, um, you know, there, we don't have a lot of moments of levity right now. Things are a little bit dark. Things are a little bit grim. So we can we can have a little laugh mm-hmm. about, about this kind of stuff. I think I don't I don't uh, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Yeah, we can have a little laugh as a treat. Yeah, exactly. We can we can joke about intactivism as a treat. Um, so, <laughs> joke, quote unquote joke. You know, obviously I'm being serious. <laughs> yeah, but, well, yeah. Matter perspective. So before we get to our interview with David Roth, um, I would just like to remind everyone to please subscribe to the show at theinsurgents.substack.com. Uh, you can now uh, make a monthly contribution to the show if you enjoy it. And you want to keep it on the air. Uh, you can subscribe at the $5 per month level, or you can pay $55 annually. Uh, you're going to get access to our Discord server. You're going to get access to future bonus content. Um, we're keeping content free for now, but we, we'll probably eventually paywall some stuff. So if you want to get ahead of that, get access to future content, get involved in the Discord server, which is really cool and fun, and there's already a really great community forming there. Uh, that's where you do it, mm-hmm. theinsurgents.substack.com. Uh, I know everyone's finances are obviously <laughs> up in the air right now. Everyone has a lot of precarity. So um, obviously it's not an option for everyone at the moment. 
but if it is an option for you, if you enjoy the show, uh, it is a lot of work to put it together. So uh, anything you can do to help us out would be would be really helpful. And uh, it, we really appreciate everyone that's subscribed so far. It's really, really great that, that people have been have been doing that. Yeah, thank you so much. Um, just echo Rob's points. It's it's fun to do this. Um, I think one of the things that we really like to do and want to do going forward are lift up people and voices that don't really often get heard in national conversations and do the best we can on that front. Um, and also helping take local issues and nationalizing them uh, through like a leftist lens. So yeah, that's that's kind of the objective and and helping people, meeting people where they're at who might be curious about, um, you know, progressive or leftist ideas, but just don't really have a source for that information, helping them uh, with that from both an entertainment and a informational uh, perspective. Yeah. And I would definitely like, I would definitely be into doing more like call-in shows and, you know, featuring members from Mm -hmm. the the community and, and answering questions and, and doing kind of interactive content with, with them in the future. This is all stuff we're going to be working out. So uh, if you can subscribe, it would be really appreciated. And yeah, um, uh, everyone was t- touting Canada's uh, and the Trudeau government's response to the COVID nineteen crisis compared to the paltry uh, twelve hundred dollar Trump bucks. Uh, you're you're all getting. Uh, we were getting a few months of of uh, two thousand dollars of Trudeau bucks for a few months, but it turns mm. out it is in fact a means tested mess. And uh, I will probably not be getting my Trudeau bucks finally. So uh, any any oh, any help that uh, that our listeners can have to keep the show in the air would certainly be beneficial to me uh, right now because I'm now doing uh, eight hours of childcare a day and have lost a lot of work as a result. But am being squeezed out of the the COVID nineteen uh, pandemic response here in Canada, uh, which sucks. Goddamn. In any case, oh, I'm uh, sorry, man. It's, yeah. oh, it's all right. It's fine. I, I don't know what I expected. I don't know what I expected. Um, right. But in any case, let's get to our interview with David Roth now. It was a really great talk. Um, David's a great mm-hmm. guy. I uh, was happy he was able to come on the show, and I think you're going to enjoy it. So uh, stay tuned for that. He's going to be joining the program right after this. Overall, how are you holding up? Like, uh, you know, like we were talking just a minute ago, how you say hello to someone, and it's just like, oh, how's it going? Fine. It's kind of this reflex, but like we're all, we're all like, yeah, it's dealing tough. With all I mean, shit in our own way. My go-to answer when I'm asked how I'm doing is just to be like, oh, you know, and that's not, uh, you know, it's it, it, it's not especially <laughs> illuminating, and yet I feel yeah. like it says enough. I think it's the yeah. most honest answer I can give. I do know. Like, yeah, yeah, I know. I mean, everybody kind of knows. And the idea of, you know, someone asking you that and just being like, well, I've never felt so bad. <laughs> like, that's it's rude, you know? Yeah. I mean, like, it's it's also rude to lie to people, but I, I think that there has to be some middle ground between the two. Yeah. Do we do yeah. we know? I mean, obviously, we're, we're getting tons of uh, updates from, like, the most important people and well-liked people in the world and how they're doing. But do you know if the Wilpons are okay? They, yeah, they have uh, <laughs> self-isolated. They are each on a separate yacht. <laughs> oh, thank oh. God. Yeah, and they're, they're mad That's at each other. There was some, let's just say that someone was snubbed at the club. Oh, and no. they're, <laughs> as far as I know, they're healthy. Uh, it's been kind of like a, you know, obviously... 
it's not the the most important thing in the world, but them <laughs> having an opportunity to sell their baseball team for two point six billion dollars right before a global economic collapse, and then just oh. not doing it because uh, they wanted to have the kind of sale where you somehow still remain in total control of the team despite having received money for it. Yeah, <laughs> it's uh, you know, it, it's easy to get yeah. to get lost in uh, all of these incredible concentric shitty news cycles that we're in the middle of but like let's not forget uh that the vets managed to find a way to fuck this up real bad <laughs> true to form man. Yeah, yeah it's incredible a lot of owners wouldn't be able to do it you know it's that classic saying about you know that business saying like anytime you get an opportunity to make a couple billion dollars <laughs> directly before a massive economic crisis. You do not do it under any yeah, circumstances. Yeah, you can't do it. Not, I mean, <laughs> weigh the options, right? So you've got this unemployable child uh, who is 10 years older than me, Jeff Wilpon. Uh, do you take the $2.6 billion and then just let him live off it? Or do you risk it so that you can leave him in charge of the team uh, so that he can keep making guys try to play through, like, badly strained hamstrings? <laughs> To me, it's like it's barely even a, a choice at all. Yeah, obviously. Yeah, we've all it's we've a, all been put in this situation before. Yeah, we it's weird. It's actually kind of comforting. This is the first I've talked about the Mets uh, in some time, which is weird. This is usually, you know, I don't go that many days. I had a couple of fantasy baseball <laughs> drafts like last week, and it was really weird. Like I, I picked my teams, and I was like kind of mad at myself uh, in the usual way for like an hour afterwards, and then I was just like, oh yeah, all right. Like, it doesn't yeah. matter that I, like, drafted Cole Hamels, and that's dumb. It's like, <laughs> Cole Hamels isn't doing shit this year, but neither am I. Like, it's <laughs> just a name that I have to look at. I could drop him if I want and sign somebody else, anybody else. Yeah. It's, just yeah, it's so very weird. bizarre, isn't it, with the whole sports situation? I think that was one of the the really surreal things about when everything was kind of closing down and you had the, the situation with the NBA and the Rudy Gobert and the, yeah. that kind of just that being the the catalyst that just shut everything down. And I remembered like I, I had this kind of eerie feeling like, well, it'd be really crazy if, if some of these these big, you know, cultural institutions that were just closing down right now, if they just never started back up again. It's like, ha, 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 uh, <laughs> wow, uh, wouldn't that be wild? That's wild, man. <laughs> yeah. I've <laughs> been thinking about that now, like just the idea of uh like Wimbledon announced that they were uh, not going to hold the event this year. And they were, you know, very hopefully announced, you know, they're like, but we'll see you in like, you know, whatever, July 11th or, you know, whatever, 2021. Yeah. And it's like just the roughest of chuckles to be like, oh, right, then. Yeah. That's I gonna easily be, think about. going to be back to normal. Yep. Yeah. Cool. All my favorite <laughs> tennis stars will be there on the, uh, the beautiful grass courts. Yeah, man. <laughs> like, I, yeah, I... I yeah, I think the Masters postponed, sadly, which is like my favorite sporting event to watch, other than like probably the Super Bowl. It's just so peaceful. Yeah. Uh, I'm not a huge golf fan. I hate the culture and everything around it. The, the Masters is different, though. I'm with you yeah. on that. I think it's the like Masters a, is pretty tight. Yeah, it's like a beautiful course. Like the historical context is pretty interesting. And just, it's nice. It's pleasant. It's a pleasant way to spend your Sunday, especially. Yeah. And I think that's one of those ones where you, you like theoretically. I like that's easier to sort of like get into that like bargaining stage with it when you think about it because it's like it would the Masters would be cooler if there were none of the people there watching it yeah. because it's also it's just like whatever Republican freak Nick you know I mean it's just like they <laughs> right, all right. fucking go there and like do deals and like whatever and like love how everybody else that's around them looks like exactly the same and they just like get sunburns and 
uh, have catered dinners. Now, if you remove that from the equation and it's just like a bunch of golfers and a beautiful course, like it seems like that could sort of work. But then you get into the, um, you know, various surfaces and proximities and mm-hmm. yeah, even well, the, even it's the crazy hearing the, some of the talking about the NBA, some of the things that they're, they're discussing for when it possibly comes back in the summer for the playoffs. They're talking about doing like a best of three opening round and then two one and done rounds and then a best of three finals in these empty arenas. Yeah, I'm just imagining that is so bizarre and surreal. Like I don't even know what that would be like. Yeah. Like any, like the empty arena things are like, I'm kind of glad that they, we didn't have to sort of go through any of that. Like, I mean, I'm missing sports like sort of terribly now. Like, I don't think I'd realize the extent to which like West Coast NBA games were a coping mechanism for me. (laughs) And like, I live on the East Coast. I don't, I mean, I went to school out there. I'm like kind of a Clippers fan, but I'm not like, it's not the sort of thing where I'm like staying up late to watch the Nuggets with like an old Kenyon Martin jersey on. Like, I just like having it there. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, It's it's, nice. Yeah. And it's, it's good not. white noise. If you're just it like is. doing something else and you just catch a, you find a stream on uh, Friends of uh, Adam Silver, I think it's the new NBA streams subreddit. Yeah. Um, and yeah, you just catch a West Coast game. Like the Warriors, I, I just, I, I've seen so many Warriors games just because it's like on late. And then obviously the Lakers. Yeah. But yeah. It's, it's nice. It's good white noise for like late evening stuff. Yeah. And what's yeah. left Anyways, of that? I tell myself that, I tell myself that if, there's going to be an eternal asterisk, asterisk now about it, so we'll never truly know if the Toronto Raptors weren't going to repeat, yeah. no matter what happens. So. <laughs> they, you get or to say that they're the yeah. defending NBA champs for like 18 exactly. more months. Yeah, and if, if they don't win this this weird playoff version, I'm just going to say, well, that doesn't count, obviously. Yeah, that's, I would hope, I mean, if they somehow do it, I would hope for like the strangest possible yeah, like I mean, like the Blazers win it, and they they have to like <laughs> act excited about it. They're like, oh, is this matter of getting Nurkic back? Also, yeah. of course, uh, it was good that all global markets ended. That helped us because yeah, there weren't any yeah. distractions. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh boy, what a what a crazy upside down world that's completely different from the one that we started the month uh, out as. Oh my god, um, dude. Yeah. That's... Anyway. Yeah, uh, David Roth, I just wanted to welcome you to the show. We're shooting the shit here about sports, but I wanted to welcome (laughs) you to the show. Thank you for joining us today, and uh, I think it's going to be great to talk to you about this stuff. Thank you. Yeah, thanks thanks for for having me. Are we just doing, we're doing NBA all the way through? Just going to run down the season and then uh, get our our picks on the board for the the playoffs? All right. Yeah. Well, I mean, obviously that stuff's important. (laughs) Yeah, it's important to get into that stuff, but I think the main reason that that I thought it was going to be really good to have you come on the show... um, today is to talk about some of the events uh, ongoing like with the with the you know the pandemic obviously the government response to it but i think the number one issue that i think i want to hear from you about and i think our listeners do as well is are the tv people being too mean right now to yes. the big man in the white house <laughs> donald donald j trump are they being too ru- are they saying mean stuff about him yeah are they saying good stuff like what are what do you think? How how disgraceful uh, and, and terrible are they being? Do you think in their treatment of, of the the big the big boy president right Great now? Great question. Very nice. It's a very nice question. So I've been <laughs> following this issue very strongly. I would say, and uh, it's right now. Trump is. It, this will change uh, probably while we're talking because I think they're doing another press conference at this moment. But right now he's still in a, one of these very rare glorious windows where like everyone is pretending that he's uh, a president and like doing a good job because he went up there yesterday and this was like as uh daniel dale pointed out in his uh just 
ever more unfathomable work of live tweeting everything <laughs> that Trump does. He started out at the beginning and he was like a much more somber tone from the president. Like he's sticking more closely to the facts. And then if I was reading through this for something that I'm writing and like halfway through, he's like, I just want to withdraw the, uh, the earlier thing about how he was sticking to the facts. <laughs> But he got through about yeah. tw- he got through about twenty minutes of it of like there's these moments where it seems like it sort of like maybe registers with him that like a quarter of a million people could die and it's basically your fault because you were pursuing some sort of grudge against Donna Dierico like in your head <laughs> while they were laying out the whatever the actual risk factors of this pandemic and so like sometimes that seems to hit him and then everybody like just whatever the people whose job it is to like sort of just describe what he's doing and how he's doing it or like this is it this is the moment (laughs) and like i don't think that they really believe that but you like i think they're trying to give him a little positive reinforcement to get him to like act more serious and you know until that next news cycle begins like he i think like sort of takes that shit to heart but then as soon as he gets upset about something or as soon as like whatever he feels like somebody is getting uh too much attention then it's just back to like the old shit yeah that's the kind of funny thing that I think people are assuming right now. They're like, this is the new now, finally, after four years, he's finally kind of getting this and growing into the office or whatever they thought was going to happen as if, as if this isn't just going to change literally the next morning that he wakes up and something bugs him. Or, yeah. Like, I know. mean, it's not the word new is like interesting to me. This is something I like, have, I, again, like I was working on it right up until we, we talked that that's like a word that people like to use about him. Like this is a new president. Philip Rucker said that like five days after Trump did the very fine people thing, they like medicated him and made him go out there and be like, it's bad when Nazis kill guys. And they were like, wow, holy shit. (laughs) Like, this is it. This is his Lincoln moment. This is his like Lincoln carrying like FDR around on his shoulders moment. Like it happened. And the, but I think to a certain extent, like there is a new Trump every day. Like he doesn't learn anything from like what happened the day before. He just like goes to bed and he wakes up and he's kind of like, I probably fucking killed it yesterday. (laughs) And then he like turns the TV on and gets upset about the first thing he sees. And that just continues until he gets too tired and goes to bed like 16 hours (laughs) later. Yeah. I mean, but on the tone thing, they tried this like two weeks ago, Dana Bash from CNN had this comment. She's like, wow, remarkable new tone from Trump today. Um, he, uh, you know, this is the kind of leadership we need during a time of crisis. And this was at the point where he was like still downplaying the severity. It like yeah. was basically he's like denying that tests were ever withheld, said they had way more than enough supplies, like just bold faced yeah. lies. Um, and also at the same time, I think this was also when people were speculating whether he had it himself. Yes. <laughs> so, yeah. Which is incredible. I mean, at that point, like, I'm still he, amazed that he doesn't. I mean, that's, I, it doesn't seem possible to me. It really yeah. doesn't. Like I, <laughs> I want to believe that he does. But I, it, it seems like he somehow didn't. I feel, I feel like Bolsonaro is just playing through it. Yeah, yeah. Oh, he but clearly, a, he clearly has. He's it. a special. Although he's also one of those guys where, like, even by Trump standards, like, Bolsonaro looks like he just got dipped in honey like every moment of every day. <laughs> yeah. Like, he's, not a, not a healthy looking guy. Really. No, like jarringly uh, shiny. <laughs> Somebody shared a video of him uh, attempting to lead a bunch of military cadets in push-ups. Yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> And he was basically it, headbanging. Like it was headbanging. He was from a, sort, a sort of holding position. a plank. Yeah. But then yeah. just like he like was trying to sell doing a push-ups but just by flopping his dumb bangs around. Yeah. Which is incredible. Like just – I don't think if you had a million people that were not capable of doing a push-up and you asked them to try to do a push-up, I don't think any of them but him would choose that method of doing it. 
Yeah. Well, we love our we love our right wing strong men, uh, yeah. Ubermensch, don't we? Yes. Our that's what's incredible <laughs> about these guys. They like fully the most alpha dudes that there are, and they all just look like <laughs> recycling bags full of leaves. Yeah. <laughs> just yeah. excellent. Yeah. But Ugh. I think it, you know, it, like it, examining kind of what's going on through the lens of of the way the media has kind of failed to cover Trump throughout the last four years, I think is interesting too because. This whole crisis, I mean, a big part of why it's gotten so bad is because it's been treated like a PR issue from minute one from the White House. And and people saying nice things about him on TV was always the number one uh, motivating factor of any decision that's been made regarding this over the last, uh, like, six weeks or so. Yeah, and uh, I think Certainly he... any time that they could have been spending, you know, actually preparing to deal with this or deal with some of the shortages they're facing now. Yeah, uh, but that's that the really real, wasn't what happened. That's the real downside of a guy that lives 24 hours at a time is that, like, he's not – like, all of the stuff that he – all the weird lies and stuff that he was telling to try to, like, keep the stock market up. Like, I think that for most people uh, who find it very stressful and kind of, like, tiring to uh, be lying in public and failing in public, it's the sort of thing where, like, you wouldn't just assume that you could do that for another 250 days, win the office back, and then just continue doing it for the rest of your life. But that's 100% the approach that Trump has taken throughout his life. And I think that, like, the idea of any of this other stuff, the idea of, like, thinking about what next week might be like, like, he can say that, like, oh, it's going to be bad, it's going to be a bad couple of weeks. But I think he also uh, is incapable of really feeling that in any meaningful way. So he can modulate his tone to, like, maybe to get praise on TV, but I don't think he can even keep that up for more than, you know, a news cycle at a time. Oh, sorry. I was kind of expecting Jordan to come through through with a nice quip there. No, no, no. I was, I was like, just my mind kind of went blank and I was, I was just getting coffee. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry guys. It's all right. We love, uh, we love our uh, stimulants to stay awake during a pandemic, don't we? That's God what it's damn. all about. We oh are, uh, <laughs> we're kind of rationing them here in the home. I haven't had a second cup of coffee during the day like I traditionally do in a while. Oh, dude, yeah. oh, I've like ramped it up. I've, I've gotten like three or four. Yeah. It's nuts. I think it's just I'm like dreading having to go out and get it again. Like the idea of like that being the thing. That's I mean, it's a really fatalistic way of thinking about it. But, you know, it's like the idea of, like, the one trip where it's like, because you needed to have three cups of coffee a day. Like, now you got fucking sick, like a pud, because you had to go buy a little <laughs> thing of chock full of nuts at the convenience store. Right, right, right. Okay, but the really the really disturbing thing, I think, right now that I'm noticing is that, you know, and this is not even in relation to his, uh, you know, his new tone, his new presidential tone, but just the fact that throughout this thing, even though it should be clear to everyone that... He, you know his specific decisions or the decisions that he didn't take in the lead up to this crisis definitely made it worse and are de- going to directly lead to the deaths of many thousands of people um you would think that that would have some kind of negative impact on his poll numbers is like approval rating which is just shooting up now yeah and that's like that's something that's got to be really concerning because it's like well what the cuz you know going back to the democratic primary and i was thinking well you know, my my initial take about Biden was just there's no way that Biden's ever going to really beat Trump when he's got this kind of gold-plated economy that they've kind of artificially pumped up over the last uh, couple of years. But okay, now there's this big, you know, this massive health crisis, this big economic crisis that's directly like 
<laughs> that his decision making led led to. Uh, so surely, I mean, that's going to leave an opening for even even the shittier Democrats that I don't think would have a good chance to maybe still kind of squeak out a win there. But even that, I mean, it's like with this crisis going on, he's looking even more unbeatable than ever now. Uh, and it's like, well, what the, I don't know what to make of that. <laughs> I feel like he is beatable because of how bad the circumstances are and because of how bad he is at the job. The thing that's been frustrating me is seeing like how the Democrats seem to be trying to beat him, which is strictly by just waiting it out. I mean, there's not like, and you know, some of it is, is just like sort of classic Democrat stuff, which is just being like, well, he seems like he's being such a nasty man, like all that shit. Yeah. Like Biden talking about how like, I wish he would act like a president and all that is like, I, that is like literally the only thing that's proven to lose to him is that approach. Yeah. So the idea of running it back as a way of, you know, avenging Khaleesi or whatever it is that they think <laughs> that is they're trying to do is really like beyond the fact that I think it's uh, and again, like I'm a unpopular sports writer, like my opinions on electoral best practices are worth <laughs> very, very little. Uh, but it seems awfully stupid. And I do remember uh, how it tanked um, not that long ago against him i just honestly can't believe on principle that they can't come up with a stronger argument against a guy who is currently fucking so many important things up so badly well even when they ask biden you know like oh does he share some responsibility for this and he's like well no i mean let's not take it that far and it's just like come on guys come on here like can you just i'm just trying to imagine the reverse situation where there's a democratic president overseeing this massive crisis and having the Republican kind of uh, election a primary going on at that time, and them saying like, "Oh no, it would be too political to try and yeah, uh, like, uh, assign is... blame here." It's like, no, I, th- I kind of think they'd be assigning probably quite a lot of blame. Yeah, they'd be just the... fucking like levitating about like Obama's genocide or whatever. Like it's <laughs> oh, it's like obviously grim. It's just like that's the part of it that is so kind of like puzzling to me. In which like you know, as the online discourse about this is like curdled now that everybody's just fucking inside and online and upset all the time like it it wasn't great you know two weeks ago but like things are obviously pretty bad now and there's this idea that you know at this point the the responsible thing to do is just to simply clear the field and and let biden do what he's doing and yet like it doesn't seem like he's interested in doing really hardly anything at all and so there's this kind of just a sick feeling of drift in all of it that suggests like kind of a, a lack of urgency at the time when urgency is most called for. And I, I you know, that's been a democratic problem for the entirety of the the sort of the Trump years. I mean it's like the leadership just doesn't seem really very well matched to the times. But the times are very bad, which makes that mismatch seem, you know, much more worrying to me. Right. And 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 you know, the urgency that this moment uh, you know, calls for it, it, Naomi Klein lays it out in shock doctrine like the right is going to use this moment to make huge inroads in whatever they want to do um and they already and, have you know we yeah, have they're already doing a good job stuff, with yeah. it right I mean right now the the corona uh, virus task force 
that Trump is having, they're talking about uh, moving naval ships down to Venezuela. So, like, as 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 Biden kind of lays down his arms, like, no, we shouldn't be uh, attacking the president in this moment. It's like, okay, sure, we're just gonna go do imperialism in Venezuela. We're gonna. He tweeted out earlier about uh, you know, Iran, uh, yeah, but yeah, to hint at maybe a preemptive strike on Iran or or, be, <laughs> or uh, escalating tone, military actions. Given the tone of that tweet, he also sounded like he was gonna like. Uh, file a defamation lawsuit against them. <laughs> right. I, like, really I saw your tweet Trump about stuff. that. That was yeah. good. Upon information and belief. <laughs> yeah. So well, then, an and ad, our, our, an our colleague, respectable lawyer, pointed out as well that that's like a legal term designed to cover your ass when you actually have no evidence or actual, yeah, it's actual stuff that you can point to to, to, to justify that. This is oh. the, it's the classic, uh, it's the, the Felix line about like um, how like Trump's way of handling problems was to <laughs> have his lawyer write a letter attesting that he's normal. <laughs> yes, <laughs> <That's> exactly. <laughs> like basically, yeah. yeah, the the idea that he's still trying to um, like threaten a specious lawsuit against Ali Khamenei, like Swy's <laughs> the best. Swy he's on tr- on top. Yeah, the, right. But yeah, you gotta the, give it up for him. Any of that stuff, to see the, the priorities of all of that, like, you'd think that that would be the sort of thing that you'd be able to make hay about if you were interested in doing that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, that's and that's the kind of thing, too, where it, it, this was a similar situation that played out when he did that um, that strike on Iran around the new year, which seems like five fucking years ago. It was three months ago now. Yeah. Um, but that was the justification where Democrats were in this kind of weird position where they were like, oh, no, he was evil and Iran terrible. Iran is very bad and awful, but we can't do that. Yeah. We, can't, we can't do that. And then that just makes them look they're kind of trying to find this position to you know, not upset the like apple cart of the, the national security establishment too much, but also saying like what he just did was bad. Uh, and it's the kind of same thing that's happening here. Like people are saying, well, we should be we should not be sanctioning Iran to make this while they're undergoing this, this deadly pandemic that's killing, you know, thousands of citizens. We're intentionally making it worse. And for instance, like Bernie Sanders is saying, yes, we need to drop these sanctions. And then Joe Biden is like, well, no, we're, we shouldn't do that. They might, they're probably lying about it. And then, so then you have a position where between the democratic front runner and the president, where he's the one that just looks, if they're so dangerous and scary, then he's the one that looks strong and then the Democratic Party look like they're acknowledging that they're dangerous and scary, but we're not going to do anything about it. Yeah. And like, that's and not a tenable, that's not a tenable like position to, to hold. And that's been Biden's whole career has been that sort of thing. This idea of like sort of taking the awful things that Republicans are saying and then like putting more relatable anecdotes in them. <laughs> but that's like basically been his whole deal is, is like getting to the right of Republicans on issues, things that like, you know, given that he's been in the Senate since like before I was born, basically, or like, you know, he's been wrong about a lot of really important shit, like the busing stuff I wasn't alive for. But like certainly a lot of the like sentencing stuff, a lot of the, you know, crime bill shit, a lot of like bankruptcy things, all of that, all of these like sort of, you know, really pretty ugly Republican angles of argument, personal responsibility shit and super predator shit or whatever, he's always managed to find a way to like, not just, you know, to make it so that you can't run against him on the right, which, you know, he was the senator from Delaware. He would hold that office like years after his death. They would just like prop, <laughs> like, you know, where some sort of like a fathead would be like affixed to his desk <laughs> and he would still win by 30 points over whoever would run against him. The But there's in that like whatever the calculation is like if you capitulate in that way for that long eventually i think that like whatever 
muscles you might use to make a principled argument against these you know, increasingly reactionary and brutal politics, that just atrophies. And so you see this failure on the part of the, the party at this point that's just like, I think even if they wanted to make an argument against uh, a 500 you know, billion dollar slush fund so that you could get like this like heavily qualified, heavily means tested benefit to some Americans. If you like, I don't think that they're, it's not you know necessarily that they're not willing to make that argument, although they're not. I think that like fundamentally they maybe have forgotten how to do it outside of, you know, either Bernie Sanders or like the younger people in the caucus. And that everybody that's in the middle has just been doing the same thing for so long that I think that it's it's very difficult for them to like even remember how to form the words. Yeah, I mean they they they've kind of yeah, like I said earlier, they've laid down their arms. You didn't really see much pushback um, on on the corporate uh, slush fund. And as they go into phase four, I think there's deep concern uh, from people in the progressive organizing left about what kind of pushback we'll see. Uh, from the Dems when it comes to like things like student loan forgiveness or, or rent freezes. Yeah. Um, these are all like critical economic issues that af- affect a vast majority of the population that there just seems to be no real concern about in Congress. And that just represents and reflects this divide between the ruling class and the working class. Yeah. It's, it's confusing with that too, because I feel like even if those were things that they did care about, and they are going to, you know, they'll go to the trouble of writing a bill and they'll have some probably insufficient, but, you know, <laughs> like decent looking responses to it. Right. But they already gave away the farm with the fucking slush fund, which is all that the Republicans really wanted from this. And so it, it's the sort of thing where, like, if this is the sort of thing that's designed as a feint, where you you put this out there and then you let McConnell block it. And then you talk about how like Mitch has killed us again. What a, you know, what an annoying fellow he is. And so rude. (laughs) Like if you've done that and that's your, your argument, then you're first of all, just again, pointing out your own haplessness, which I don't think is something that, that voters have ever really responded that well to. It's not like the fucking national league central or whatever, you know, like they actually kind of, it's important that you win. And then there's this other sort of element, too, where it's like either it's hapless or it's this, again, like kind of that double bank strategery thing that I think has been like a, especially like a Pelosi signature, where in signaling that all of this stuff is meaningful to you, but not including it in the bill that you actually have a chance of passing, uh, it kind of reads, you know, like a buried taunt or an insult of sorts. Especially yeah. given the urgency of all the things that Jordan was just describing, which are like, you know, the, the stuff that's in that first bill is a deferral of pain down the line for a few months. But I mean, if and when that arrives, like the idea of like just like massive evictions, like how do yeah. you just fucking wear that? Yeah, I mean, is it even really a deferral? I mean, yeah, it's like people are all losing like the, you saw that job of like the, of the recent un- unemployment claims chart there's just this vertical line going straight up in the air and it's just like yeah we've done this this massive multi-trillion dollar thing and we're so uh like we object so much to just like giving people the idea that like we can there can be a safety net that it's just like no here's here's your 1200 bucks maybe possibly you might apply you might get it 
it's like it's completely inefficient and i like i don't there i feel like there's kind of running into a big conflict there between the gap between what people really need the, from right the from the federal government right now and what they're offering what they're willing to offer them yeah and that's going to become more apparent especially in the next couple of weeks yeah it's weird too because again it's the sort of thing where they are comfortable losing and thinking that it's like a tactical thing i, I mean i don't agree with that but it's clear that that's a method and yet like they wanted to like go slower to make that benefit worse instead of appearing to want to give a more generous benefit than they did losing and then making this the compromise like this was this was the desired outcome it seems like yeah which is really weird i don't think i know anyone that's going to get it yeah it's it's so it's so wonky and i even saw even because like this means testing approach because it's so convoluted and clunky like that always just like means testing in general one of the best arguments you could make against it is that it just it makes everything harder to access and results in more gaps and people not even getting the the aid that they are entitled to. Uh, Social Security recipients are now going to be uh, required to file a tax return ah, to that one. qualify for this, which many of them probably won't even be aware of and won't get help now. Uh, yeah. That's just just why there's just make it universal and tax on the back end it's so much more streamlined but because they didn't do that and because the operating approach from both sides was to start with means testing was they didn't want everyone to have this help to begin with to me that's i always thought that that was in many ways like the number one winning argument for medicare for all even above the like eminently correct and important like ethical arguments for it or, you know, or practical politics ones for it. The idea of it just being like, don't worry about it. It's covered. Like, if you get sick, you can go to the doctor. If you get badly hurt, you can go to the hospital. You can get in an ambulance. Don't sweat it. Mm-hmm. Like, that. I think that that is the thing that, especially given how many layers of, like, weird forms and bad websites and bureaucracy there are to get, like, even the basic simple shit that Americans are supposed to get, anything that you can do to make it so that people don't have to worry about it and don't have to think about it, I feel like is a huge advantage to take. And yet they just cannot fucking bring themselves to take it. Yeah. Well, David, it sounds a little bit like you're politicizing the pandemic right now to push a, a certain yeah. agenda there about, you know about what? Healthcare that's being that's free regrettable. Yeah. I feel like that's regrettable <laughs> rhetoric on my part. And I don't condone the thing I just said. Yeah. And I even noticed that you, you've been talking about coronavirus. I mean, have you considered that there are people out there that might have coronavirus? And that's insensitive <laughs> yeah. to them yeah. for you to be talking yeah. about this. We it better is. take up a 12-hour news cycle now to oh, make sure that we discuss this. You're, make you sure are why got... Bernie isn't winning. That's it. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I hate to say it. Every day I go out there and by talking about the things that I want, give a master class in why I don't deserve any of the things yeah. I want. That's right. 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 Really sorry, issue. dude. That's just how it goes. That was a really rough one. It's weird. I don't know how fast you guys get these things out. I feel like there's a chance that this could be, like, forgotten entirely by the time this podcast is released, even if it's, like, tomorrow tonight. morning. Yeah, tonight. Yeah, right. The, is that was, that was a really bad about? cycle of discourse, though. That that one almost oh. got to me, I think, yeah. on this yeah. level. You just, oh, this, every now and then there'll be these ones where I authentically feel like I am dissociating or just like losing some sort of handle on like, you know, the idea of like, if you pull this lever, this thing happens. Uh, That works a lot less well now than it used to, obviously, like for a bunch of different reasons. But to see a bunch of like elite Dems and like people, not just in like media, but like 
people that work in democratic politics, like as like campaign people or think tank people, all pretend to have the same specious and ungenerous reading of yeah. a tweet for mm-hmm. an entire day during the middle of a fucking pandemic instead of doing literally anything else with their time <laughs> yeah. was like I you know you keep thinking that you can't be shocked anymore and yet that one I found at the very least startling yeah. I would yeah. say no it's like the kind of thing that I just wanted to like sit down with one of these people like in a room no no like off the record and just be like you don't you're not actually mad about this, right? Yeah. Like you don't, you don't, you don't believe this, do you? I made really? The mistake which I hardly ever make of like responding to people in uh, the old Menchies yesterday about that, and there's like a couple of people that were giving it that reading, and I, I asked like, do you really think that this was about Kamala Harris's late mom? Yeah. Like, is that? And they were like, no, of course not. But like, I don't think that you know Bernie can pass X, Y, and Z plan. I think that. Brianna Joy Gray is annoying, whatever, any of the, you know, all of which are like very different sorts of things. But like, why are you putting yourself in a position where you're pretending to like this, I think, is the thing that's like the grimmest on all of the different sides of the way that uh, like Twitter discourse about politics happens. This like sort of like para surrogate role that people uh, latch onto where they're all like sort of towing a campaign's line you know, the more disingenuous, the better, because like they think that that's how you help that candidate. Mm-hmm. And I'm inclined to to leave that shit to the professionals and not to be like whatever like compromise like Simone Sanders is going to have to answer for at the end of time. Like <laughs> she's getting paid for that. Like she's receiving health insurance for making that that choice every day. Like why would you just do that for yucks? Right. They, uh, yeah, why, yeah, willingly, like, just doing that because you're bored or killing time at work or you enjoy it, like, that's that's bizarre. Yeah, I, I, I get that. Uh, another thing in this discourse that really um, <laughs> pissed me off, but also reminded me of that, you know, that, that's, that, that phrase, like, Democrats hate leftists more than fascists or Republicans. Yeah. There was a tweet from, you know, a prominent Democrat who's, I think, on a DNC platform committee or one of the committees of the DNC for the convention um, pushing this and said, this is this is toxic. She's been part of the problem. And a Republican guy who was in the Trump administration, but is now is like a resistance MSNBC never Trumper, <laughs> replied, we've both been in politics long enough to know this person is putting herself in a very bad position for future opportunities. I hope she knows exactly what she's doing and making unnecessary enemies is a fool's errand. And <sighs> the, the, the Democrat replies, we remember. And it's just like, why would you celebrate this with the Republican? Like, why are you doing this? And it just shows yeah. that, they don't, that ultimately this is about keeping leftists and, and progressives away from the levers of power they don't actually give a shit and the person like if you're gonna agree with this guy who's talking about opportunities and politics why are you talking about that with someone who worked in the fucking trump administration yeah seriously i also remember when this person you're talking about likes to go and hang out at apac with a bunch of uh, absolute (laughs) ghouls there and was also i read uh supposed to speak at the bankers conference in uh next week oh i know who you're talking about yeah (laughs) yeah (laughs) very cool well i'm sorry he's not gonna get to speak at banker con san diego Oh man! All the hot bankers, the up-and-coming bankers, are going to be there. They're live streaming on Twitch. It's yeah, gonna be sick. I, I was actually going to receive the uh, Ludwig von Mises. Uh, I was one of the forty-three under forty-three that they oh, had for sick. that, so I was going to get a grant. 
That's this awesome. Really... I'm so sorry that didn't work out for yeah, you. Yeah, it's all right. We're gonna do, we're doing a Zoom thing. <laughs> nice. I got uh, yeah. It's, it's gonna be me. I'm gonna um, interview Sheldon Adelson. <laughs> oh, sick! That's yeah, amazing. he's got the issue is that he has extremely bad wireless in his lair. so he has to be uh taken up to the airy and there's a whole series of pulleys and it's very difficult (laughs) oh god got it yeah it's a complicated process yeah (laughs) but it's worth it once you get him up there the top of the castle yeah beautiful pure charisma that's the first thing i think of (laughs) one thing i love to do is look at pictures of sheldon adelson and think about pictures of sheldon adelson and i'm happy that i could give you guys that experience here on your podcast yeah Yeah. (laughs) He's actually a co-sponsor of our of the show. So he is. Shout yeah, out, shout out to him. Shout out to Sheldon. It's him and then you and Casper mattresses. You have to do a, a live a live read yes. for both. Yeah. I mean, speaking of Las Vegas, though, I, I, I the, this picture has been pissing me off. I'm sure you guys saw it. Oh yeah. The fucking lines in a parking lot. For social distancing for homeless people, while like thousands of hotel rooms, like three blocks away in the back of the picture, you can see that fucking like stratosphere hotel. So they're like just a block away from the strip. Every every hotel in the American city that has the most hotel rooms is empty. Yeah. And they just ref- still refuse to tr- to treat people with dignity, yeah. like they're like they're We've actual human beings. We've got you a gym floor with some duct tape to keep you six feet away from the <laughs> yeah, other. Uh, we're worried yeah. about you, but not too worried about you. Yeah. That's the shit. Not that... so worried that you get an actual bed. Let's not get ahead of ourselves. Stories like that kind of float through my field of vision. And then, you know, that image has stayed with me. The story today about a cruise ship with sick people on it that Florida won't let land. All of this is oh, just, yeah. you know, beyond sort of, I mean, of course, it's like very bad. Not to editorialize uh, rudely about making homeless people sleep in designated rectangles yeah. on a fucking parking lot outside of an empty yeah. hotel. Yeah, so we'll let's, allow it. let's not get too uh, out of yeah, control. Yeah, I don't want to make this, I don't want to politicize uh, what <laughs> is, a, of course, really more of an aesthetic issue. But, the, but like all of this is so, you know, this is again like another area where like I find Biden to be not just insufficient, but almost like insultingly so that there's, to the extent that he's capable of, of, having a public persona right now it's like those weird interviews where he like calls chuck todd like you know gary or something and then just like says a bunch of words out of order there's those and then there's these inspirational tweets about you know when americans face a challenge together we've never lost we're undefeated and like so all we need to do is hang together and you know and i i want to believe stuff like that you know like i've been watching sports my whole life i want to you know, and I've been getting pep talks from coaches, or at least I did, you know, through high school. Like, it's important in a moment where you are trying to get the most out of yourself to let yourself believe shit like that. And yet I find at this moment that the idea of of togetherness or of people accepting a sort of a, you know, a shared burden and a common challenge in this, like, it may be that this is the thing that sort of forces that upon us, but like, Instead, I'm just kind of seeing the opposite, that this is like it just reverted to like whatever mid-series, like Walking Dead stuff really, really fast. Like we skipped over whatever it was that, you know, the decisions that could have made it, you know, one way or the other. And it just seems like everybody is hunkering down and getting mean. Mm -hmm. Like it's it's kind of heartbreaking. Like I want to believe 
that were better than that. And like, you know, I, obviously like I read enough to know there's copious evidence that we are in fact not, but like, geez. <laughs> well, it's just, there's been a, I think there's been like a deliberate project in America over the generations to like drill out any idea in people's minds that living like that is possible even or advantageous or good. Um, yeah. And it's really colliding with like the the idea of America and the idea of what America represents that a lot of people have colliding with with what needs to be done, which is this big collective action where everyone looks out for each other. And you even look out for like undocumented immigrants and homeless people and people that have been completely left behind. Like that's what need in order to really stop this this virus and and return things to some sense of normalcy. These folks that have been completely left behind in the in the political process and in the economy for for decades have to be included. So everyone is kind of like all kind of pulling together in the same direction. And there's just something kind of intrinsically part of America that's up completely opposed to that ever happening. Yeah, and you're seeing that come into conflict now. It's this like institutional, not institutional. I mean, it is institutional, but this like you know people. It's it's one thing to like sort of blame Trump for this, but I think that a lot of it is that he's a representation of it more than anything else. This like total, you know, abhorrence of, of weakness or vulnerability, like denial of it. And then, you know, like the germophobia is the same sort of thing where the idea of just like other people in general are just kind of like, Oh fuck, no thanks. And that is like, I, I don't know, like to be in, you know, sort of like with a guy like that sitting on top of it, it's obviously like, it's a bad uh, spot to be in for a number of reasons, but yeah, <laughs> It does seem like it's going to require, like, rethinking a lot of things to do this right. And yet, like, you don't get where we are now unless people had really invested a lot in rejecting the idea that, like, other people are as real or as important as you are. This is the part that breaks my heart about the fucking Bernie thing, to be honest with you, not to keep sucking the air out of the room on that, is that, like, he explicitly has made this campaign about, like... Yeah, that exact idea, yeah. Other people you know, being meaningful, like living together as a community that cares about each other, being meaningful. And then to see the sort of glee with which, like, the Democrats have uh, turned their back on that in favor of sort of the aestheticization of that without any of the politics is like, I would say it's disheartening would be a word for it. Oh, that's one way to put it. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, Well, no, that's the thing. I mean, obviously, I've, I've thought he was the best candidate for for that reason for you know this entire time but just in the last three weeks his entire worldview has been completely vindicated yeah uh and still you see the democratic party saying like no still no <laughs> and right just, and democratic mm-hmm. voters saying well they said no so you know we're, we're not doing that yeah at and this that's point that's the really heartbreaking and, and weird thing about seeing that continue to sort of go in that direction that all seems like a stand on like on principle at this point too the idea that like if you capitulate and like acknowledge that like clearly some sort of universal healthcare thing would be the you know the ideal way to keep this sort of thing from happening again like if you do that then you're somehow like letting the bros win or like whatever accepting that the snake emojis are legitimate or any of this other like (laughs) stupid internal shit that doesn't really matter at all and that's like Oh, well, man. that's what that's what that whole Brianna Joy Gray thing controversy yesterday. That's what it was all about. It's just it's about these these certain types of like uh, liberals and and people in the Democratic Party that are just physically unable to like grapple with the actual questions that are being asked there and really defend their what their position is, which is completely inconsistent and indefensible. So they have to turn it into being about anything other than that. It's, yeah. it's you know, it's not about, you know, oh, this is, we should be, why would be, why would COVID-19 treatment 
and uh, testing be free, we, we all agree, yeah, people shouldn't be getting left behind there and that should be free. Why shouldn't it be free for other illnesses, for cancer or diabetes or strokes or yeah. any mental health or any other thing that right. you know would have a huge benefit to people's lives? Because it's it, when people are going through these huge health crises... Um, you know, it's no less of a crisis than, than what it is right now. And they can't just answer that question. They can't just say like, no, it should only be this because there's, there is no answer. They have no answer to it. So they have to turn it into this kind of like very performative victimization, uh, routine. And it's just, it's just fucking embarrassing to see them do it. And it's like, you'd wish that they could just be honest and just answer the question to say that, no, I don't think people deserve that stuff. Right. And we have to do it now just because we're being pressured to. Yeah, we're doing it now. And then the next time there's an emergency, we'll find the money again. But rest assured that the money's not actually there. It just yeah. feels like it's it's insulting, I guess, is is what it boils down to for me. Like, it is very hard not to take that sort of thing personally. Um, but again, maybe it would be easier for me to take it personally if I could log off and go outside. <laughs> but I, yes. I haven't really done as much of that. So mostly I just uh, get more and more aghast. And then at some uh, yep. point every night, I allow myself to begin drinking. <laughs> <laughs> well, we still have you here, David. Um, yeah, because I know you're you in New add, York. Talk about something else. <laughs> yeah, no. Well, no, it's, it's tangentially related, but because ah. because uh, you know you're uniquely suited to weigh in on this as a New Yorker. But the way that there's seemingly kind of a a switcheroo, possibly being. Uh, oh the seeds are being planted for some kind of a switch where kind of uh, Andrew Cuomo is being built up as the the sort of post 9-11 Giuliani figure. And you have a lot of sort of liberals and Democrats now kind of all by themselves with no outside help coming to the realization like, hey, maybe this guy would be the, the best bet. Like what what's your take on on possible presidential nominee Andrew Cuomo? So I will answer Andrew Cuomo related questions on one condition. <laughs> Uh, which is okay. that both of you guys get on the record as to whether you do or don't think that he has a nipple piercing. Oh, he definitely does. All yeah. right. Because you've yeah. all seen the, the image. Yep. Oh, I yeah. saw. I examined it quite closely. It yeah. was disgusting. Nipples protruding. It was very disrespectful. I thought. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, did see, I did see Rachel Millman on Twitter give a pretty convincing analysis on this um, that I think he maybe had some kind of a Band-Aid on the nipple situation which he maybe forgot to change as he switched into his, his polo. It's probably like, like he'd his, been his, on a 15-mile on a run or something? Or like, like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, hey, I don't know. I mean, that, I don't that happens. Know that that happens. I know. I know. Yeah. It's a reasonable thing if you are marathoning. I just didn't know yeah. that he was like knocking those out midday. <laughs> yeah, well. <laughs> it yeah. is also, I mean, it, it would be very much, uh, it would be a Cuomo thing. And in some ways, like a solid metaphor for Democrats in general, where like if you had a remedy, if you were like, well, one thing I don't want to do is go out there in a white polo shirt and have everybody talking about my nipples all day. So what I'm going to do is <laughs> affix this Band-Aid over my nipple, but do it wrong so that everyone winds up talking about my nipples all day. Like that's, you still it's, want to say it's like perfectly Democrat, but it's like decently good. Yeah. I, I'm 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 in the I'm firmly in the nipple piercing camp. He strikes me as someone who would. Yeah, um, he's a he's an undercover kind of freak type dude. Yeah, <laughs> you've seen the, yeah. the pictures of his like man cave yeah. at his house and stuff yes. like that. It's like one treadmill and a doors poster. A treadmill and a doors poster. <laughs> Like a TV that's just got like somehow it's like only the simulcast horse racing channels on it, <laughs> right? And like a t- a little dumbbell tree that's yeah. just like the saddest like. But he could. It's like the the aesthetic of the room was that he couldn't like firmly decide what he wanted it to be. It was like part home gym, part home office, part man cave, but didn't do any of them well. 
It was yeah. just like a total conflict of interest. It was fascinating to me too, though, because I've seen somebody that grew up in, you know, northern New Jersey, like, I've seen different versions of that room a hundred times in different <laughs> people's homes in my life. And they're all, like, even in, in looking at it, I was like, this isn't, you know, terribly artfully done. But, like, I do see what you were going for here. Right. Like, this is, like, it's a certain type of, uh, you know, Italo-American approach to masculinity. <laughs> but it's, like, you know, like a grab bag of, like, you know, you have certain different options. Like, that could have been, like, a Led Zeppelin 4 poster, you know, yeah. like he chose yeah. Jim Morrison. Like there's certain things it couldn't have been. Like it right. couldn't have been uh, like an electric wizard poster or like a <laughs> whatever high on fire poster or whatever. Like it had to be one of like five classic rock acts. But I mean, he picked the funniest <laughs> one. That's why he's the best. That's why I think he should be president. We need a president that has like nothing but respect about, for my president. president, who in turn has nothing but respect for L.A. woman. Yeah, right. Yes, right. <laughs> so it's funny. Like I. Uh, I don't like Cuomo very much. That may surprise you to learn. I think that if he were to run against Trump, he'd beat him. But I think that he's absolutely the worst type of person that could be president. I think, like, to the extent that there's an argument for Biden, it's that he's, like, just non-copus mentis and not going to try very hard. So you just kind of roll him out when you need to roll him out. And then otherwise a bunch of whatever, like, think tank, droids do the the work uh cuomo is extremely hands-on extremely vindictive uh has no discernible politics that i can see beyond being in control of things and a certain like extremely retributive retro version of like liberal politics like not dissimilar from like like the policies that biden staked out before he like forgot anything that he'd ever believed uh, are like Cuomo's things. Like the the budget for the state is currently being held up because he's trying to roll back the uh, bail reform bill that was passed through the Senate, the state Senate, and was signed into law. Uh, as if that were something that uh, was worth holding up, um, you know, essential services and <laughs> payroll over. Like yeah. the idea that you should be able to send more people to a COVID-ridden Rikers Island for misdemeanor charges like it's bizarre there's not a political or obviously not a moral or ethical argument for that except for the fact that like he didn't want to have to sign that bill in the first place it passed against his will and this is his opportunity to sort of like make it right by uh undoing it he's also like his rise and the fanfare around him it really it really highlights the American like aesthetic way of viewing politics. Absolutely. So largely captivated and, and, and like cultivated through TV consumption because they see his press conferences constantly. And most people I would guarantee had no idea who he was like two weeks ago. Yeah. And they especially don't know that he fucking cozied up to the IDC and the New York state legislature, which was like a Republican branch of the democratic party. And he used them as a cudgel to beat back any progressive legislative measure. And then when people got hip to it, he had them come to meet with him and then instantly they dissolved. And then he washes hands of it. No one is putting two and two together. And also he's actively trying to cut Medicaid. Yeah. Why the I mean, fuck would you celebrate this guy this is what i mean i mean it's just like there's no although this again like in uh as you were pointing out earlier that like this trend of like tri-state elected officials giuliani being the most egregious but i mean chris <laughs> yeah. christie 
or any of these guys, like sort of anytime uh, they fuck up real bad and something bad happens there, they get this weird sort of bounce because like, again, all you need to do is sort of like appear leaderly. This is what's mm-hmm. funny about like Trump's approval rating relative to the coronavirus being comparatively low relative to like basically every other leader in the world. It suggests that like he can't even do that shit right. That with Cuomo, all you do is you go out there, you speak in complete sentences. He's fairly, you know, he is not a especially inspiring communicator. Like, I do like the way in, like, every one of his press conferences where he's like, I'd like to say a moment about my mother or whatever. <laughs> Starts talking about, like, how important it is you spend time with your family. Like, Cuomo is famous for being probably the biggest misanthrope in American politics. He won't meet with voters. He won't even debate people on television. Like, he just does not give anybody anything. Yeah. And yet, like, he's, you know, able to sort of get through that, you know, just that initial resistance, which is, again, as you said, jarringly light, given the extent of his failure and just his relentless fuckery. He can get past that and do the TV thing and still see his numbers go up. What's baffling to me is that he's not really doing a very good job. He hasn't done a very good job. And yet, like, the governors that have done a better job, uh, who in many cases, like, Jay Inslee's kind of like a fucking babe. He's very soothing. He happens (laughs) to uh, believe some things. Like, he actually did the job right. But because Washington is not the epicenter of the coronavirus in the United States, again, because he fucking listened to the experts and acted in a timely fashion, like, therefore, he's not on television. And the guy who is currently, like, flailing and overseeing this incredible slow motion disaster in this state is the guy that winds up on TV. Right. And winds up being, like, tossed around as a potential you know, whatever savior for the party. He'd always apparently wanted to be the uh, chief of staff, I guess, in a <laughs> in a Biden White House. That was apparently the thing that he would leave to go do that. Really? Which I think is just that he would rather be sort of the, the power behind the throne than actually have to be like accountable to people. Yeah, it is just, incredible that if you're a fan of Rahm Emanuel to finally meet a, a less yeah. appealing version of him. Yes, exactly. He's exactly. out there, though. Yeah, <laughs> I think about, I, I, I don't know if you ever read the book, The Price of Politics, that Woodward wrote about the budget negotiations, the fiscal cliff and I stuff. but... Um, and it goes into such detail about what a fucking asshole Rahm Emanuel is. Yeah. And not that this is any secret, but it's just like more granular details about the guy. And it's like, yeah, the similarities with him and Cuomo are just like are, are so like they're, they're they're so evident. And I could totally see him wanting that position based on everything I've read about Rahm. Yeah, I think it's like the job that you want if you're like if you're a bully. Uh, like first and foremost, like if that's yeah. your passion, like if you were the sort of like if like shaping policy was like really an important thing to him, he would for one thing probably have different policies, but it's not really what it's about. Like his thing is like putting a finger in someone's chest and being like, if you don't vote this way, like I'm going to fucking destroy you. Don't worry about it. <laughs> like, and that is like, I mean, whatever. That's obviously like Emmanuel's thing too, with like a different accent and a different affect. Yeah. I don't know what guys like that. I mean, I guess I do know what guys like that do if they don't go into politics. I mean, the cops probably cops uh, right yeah. or really authoritarian like, vice principals yeah i was gonna say or like guys that are like whatever they have like a used car dealership that uh, they inherited yes, but they're yeah. like it's really important to them to like be seen as winners somehow yeah. they're like really into golf and like golfing tournaments like local yeah. golf tournaments yeah the sh- but the shotgun start <laughs> yeah. <fascists>. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah he's a uh, it's it's weird too because like to a certain extent, like the question of whether you would prefer Joe Biden or Andrew Cuomo as president is like, it's not the most depressing thing going right now because like fucking a thousand people are going to die today. But like, it is not undepressing. Like, it just really is 
like you, you has a political party, you have to be able to do better than that. Yeah. I, yeah. Good. Go ahead, Rob. Well, no, I just, I would think it would be funny if, if that is kind of what ends up going on. Cause now who even knows what's going to go on with the fucking rest of the primary or the election. Like no one even knows <laughs> yeah. if there's going to be like a democratic process. Um, they're like the Biden was today was talking about how it's probably not safe to have the, the DNC convention in Milwaukee, although apparently the the actual voting is still going to happen next week as of right now. So that's oh. kind of an interesting contradiction. It's like there. they're going to open the polls? As of now, I don't think they've postponed Jesus them. Jesus Christ. There's How a, could you do that? There's a I mean, fight I, in Wisconsin I feel like they probably right will, but who, yeah. who knows? The um, I, I, I know the head of the Democratic Party in Wisconsin because I used to work with him at Move On. And I, he's they've actively been trying to transition it to... Um, uh, vote by mail thing or something. Yeah, or? I'm sorry. Did I? Cl- I hope I clarified Wisconsin. I don't know Tom yes, Perez. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> ben Wickler, <laughs> in Wisconsin. What an amazing honor. Wow. Although I do see Tom Perez at my gym, which is really weird. And I, <laughs> as things have gotten bad recently, I've been kind of thankful that my gym is closed because I Did you don't bring him know. On the show? No, fuck yeah. that guy. <laughs> <laughs> like, like when they when they weren't transitioning to um, vote by mail, like Ohio did, like Republican Governor Mike DeWine did in Ohio. Yeah. Um, but they didn't do that for Chicago, or sorry, Illinois. And Tom Perez cheerleaded uh, that decision. I was just and so people are actually dying mad. that were that were voting that yep. day, right? Yeah, now. and like I have sick it. And just no, no consequences. Like, no consequences for anyone that said no, no, it's healthy. It's fine to do that. Some yep. things Everyone's are more fine. important than not dying, and that is <laughs> yeah. uh, casting a vote. <laughs> like not so much for Joe Biden as against Bernie Sanders. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and well, no, it's actually it's an interesting callback to what you were saying before about how Pelosi right now and the Democratic Party not. You not really using the power they have in any way, or they are, and they just you don't like the things that they're doing. But I think that was a quote that someone asked her about: Should we just transition to vote by mail for everything right now, so we can have some kind of a democratic process? And she was like, "Well, we're not going to spend too much time on something that's never going to pass." But yeah. it's like you're the most you're the powerful person that could make something like that pass. That's yeah. what your job is. I think she said something similar about the idea of, of actually having the House vote remotely, that that's just, like, not going to pass, yeah, you know, yeah. her, which to me is, like, there's, like, a lot of old people, some very sick people in there, like, you're going to, like, just make these guys fucking sit this out? Like, after, yeah. I mean, not to use John Lewis in this rhetorical way, because he's always been used in this sort of very cynical way, but, like, the last votes of that guy's public life, you're just going to let him not fucking take them because he's immunosuppressed because he's sick? Yeah, like yeah. it just seems to me like the sort of thing where if it's so callous that like it almost supersedes how impractical and self-defeating it is. Mm-hmm. Like it's ugly enough that it almost doesn't matter how dumb it is. <laughs> right. <laughs> and it's is... also I mean even on a much this is a much smaller scale scale than like systemic injustice, but the justification is like, well the rules say we have to be present. So yeah. fucking change them. Like right. what? Yeah. Rewrite them. <laughs> yeah. Who cares? It's there's your actual great, job, actually. Yeah, so. right. There's this great essay that David Graeber wrote in the New York Review books that it was about, uh, you know, labor getting wiped out in the UK elections. But it was more it's it sort of like in a way that like of the, the few times usually I like recoil from that parallel, not just for the reasons of that I don't want to think about it. But it's like, you know, it's different systems, it's different histories and all that. But what he pointed out was that the, the coalition that labor is kind of had put together was this uneasy, you know, it was like the leftover sort of like working class coalition that had been there. And then the sort of the, the bit that had been added to it during the, like the Blair years was this sort of like burgeoning, uh, 
like class of not you know exactly bureaucrats but like accountants apparently like there's just a staggering amount of accountants in england that that's like the number one you know sort of growth industry so it's like these professionals who are in this kind of like managerial administrative tier and that and then there's the people that are impacted by the rules that those people interpret and sort of you know leverage one way or the other and that like that sort of like rule following class is you know a very sort of like a unique um and new thing it is also like maybe the most unpopular and unrepresentative group of people that you could have in any political coalition and i think that like when i see this sort of like fetishistic attachment to rules especially like as you said rules that like at this point just don't apply given the circumstances like that always really like rings out to me the idea that you just like you can't think beyond this like endlessly expanding rule book to realize like the urgency of the problems that like you're supposed to be remedying because you like so value the rules like that is i think the most like embarrassing sort of paralysis of all because like at that point like it really like on principle you just can't do anything yeah uh, well i keep going in these really grim so, directions well, i'm really sorry about that it's okay our it's show's kinda, not really bright sounds like anyway, everything's going so. great in america and i'm yeah. sure it's all going to work out um you know <laughs> well you can't really help it because that you're just describing you just you can't really just talk about what's happening in america without going down that path because uh, it's a pretty dark shit it just sucks. I, I apologize for uh, for the bad vibes. If you want to, no, do you want to no. ask me a baseball question? And you guys got any baseball questions? Uh, uh, yeah, I got a baseball yeah. question. This All is right, a home to, this is a hometown question. <laughs> Let's hear it from me. Um, in the lockout shortened season in '93, I believe mm-hmm. the Montreal Expos, my hometown team, having a great year. What would have been the fate of the Expos in '93? Had that season progressed, would they have made a playoff run or possibly won the World Series? I think they would have won the World Series, man. I think it would have gotten Larry Walker into the Hall of Fame uh, like five years earlier, which I would have been 100% here for. Like, I think that, I I mean, I remember that team very fondly. And uh, different guys from that team wound up Mets in later years. Cliff Floyd was a Met. And then somehow 10 years after that, Bartolo Colon was a Met. (laughs) But these are like guys that I uh, remember very well, and uh, that I remember that being a, a brilliant team. I don't know if Bartolo was on the '93 team yet; he probably wouldn't have been. Yeah, miss the suppose. I've got a baseball question also, yeah. and I don't know if you've answered this elsewhere, so I apologize if it's redundant. Right. But for our listeners, should Pete Rose be in the Hall of Fame? No, fuck Pete Rose, man. <laughs> uh, no, I don't think so. I mean, like, I just feel like that's one of those things. Like, that's a decision that you you get to make. Like, there's an argument for it. Yeah. Uh, I feel like the end of his career was, like, maybe the most embarrassing. Like, even including, like, whatever, Carl Malone chasing a ring with the Lakers oh, and that stuff was like that. So like, sad. All that, like, there's a whole thing. A lot of NBA guys have uh, done that in the past. <laughs> and it's always been kind of bad, but it's like, I can't actually be angry at Gary Payton. So I take all of the yeah. confused feelings that I feel about Gary Payton chasing and getting a ring. And then I just transfer them on to Pete Rose, who I detest. Right. Makes it makes it a lot easier. Yeah, yeah. I think it's such a I Trump seems to be like a big Pete Rose guy, right? Yeah, yeah, because I'm sure like Pete Rose is like the like 
absolute acme of like what a, a trump guy would be too he's like <laughs> right, a dude that right. like he's like committing crimes he's writing his own name in the lineup even though he hit like whatever 200 over his last three seasons because he's like trying to squeak above this number and then like once he gets a big enough number he just says it every day for the rest of his life <laughs> yeah also um I, I just find him upsetting to look at oh yeah yeah he's a he's like a that, in the same way that you see this with like Mark Davis, who owns the the Raiders, like I don't know where Pete Rose gets the haircut that he has. I don't know. It's not as bad as Mark Davis, though. But yeah, it's pretty it's bad. Not. Mark Davis is, is is truly remarkable. Like the, if you were t- if you told me that he gave it to himself, I'd be like, oh, all right, well that explains it. Right. But there's a story. He's like, there's like some guy that will give it to him. Like the one person. It's like that doctor that like would put Michael Jackson into medically induced comas at his behest. But there's like some. There's like one barber in like Palm Springs who's like, if you come, I will give you that haircut. But I'm not coming to you, and I don't feel good about it. And Mark Davis is like, I'll be there in an hour, just to get get shaped up, get crisp. Well, that that All was right. my baseball question. No, good. Thank you. Thank that's you good. For... That's a more lighthearted note to finish on. But David, yeah. thank you so much for joining the program. It was really great to talk to you about this stuff. <laughs> thank you, uh, guys. Where can, I people, appreciate where can it. people find your stuff? Uh, also, uh, fuck Spanfeller or whatever his name yeah, is. Yeah, man. Uh, well, I you know I think he's. Let's give him a chance. <laughs> let's hear him yeah. out. <laughs> I, uh, I wherever I'm freelancing is where you can find me for the most part. I've done a decent amount of that at the New Republic. I should have another thing up there this week, hopefully. Uh, but usually you will see me either promote it through my Twitter account at, at David underscore J underscore Roth, or if you, which is admittedly kind of annoying to type, or uh, you could see the stories that I and everybody else that used to work at Deadspin writes if you follow the at on Deadspin account. David, well, thank thanks you so again. Much. I mean, it's almost a cliche to point this out, but many are saying that David Roth is one of the <laughs> oh. the, the top writers covering the big wet boy and the on. commander that's, in chief. That's too much. And so <laughs> too much. Oh, oh, stop it! Stop it! Let me <laughs> let me compliment you. But no, it was great to have you on to talk to break this stuff down, and hope to talk to you again soon. Right on. Thanks very much, guys. I appreciate it. Take care of yourselves. Hey, everyone. Thank you for listening to The Insurgents. If you want to subscribe to the show, you can find us on iTunes or Spotify or at Substack, theinsurgents.substack.com. You'll get the latest episodes delivered straight to your inbox as well as our newsletter. On Twitter, we are at InsurgentsPod. Tweet at us, harass Ken in our replies, and then send us your hate mail to theinsurgentspod at gmail.com. Thank you once again for listening. <laughs>